I prayed and said, Lord, please show me what you want me to do as far as a sermon for this week. Very clearly, very distinctly, I heard God say, let your mantle fall on me. Elisha the prophet spoke those words. And I began reading and I began praying. And the thing that was so intriguing to me was I had gotten the prophets mixed up. Because there are two prophets in the Old Testament who sound very similar. One's name is Elijah with a J. One's Elisha with an SH. Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And I had gotten all of the stories of Elisha's ministry mixed up in my brain, giving credit to the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah, as you are probably aware, had an incredible ministry and a powerful, powerful uh, presentation of God's presence. If you remember the story, Elijah is the one who confronted all of the prophets of Baal on the mountain and said, let's see which God is the real God. And they put together a sacrifice, but they didn't put fire to it. And he said, let the God who's really God bring fire and consume the offering. And in that one day, through the prophet Elijah, God overcame that whole Baal worship. And they literally destroyed the Baal worship in the land of Israel at that point. But then it reached a point a few chapters later where Elijah has reached the end of his time on this earth. Or he's nearing the end of his time on this earth. And he's frustrated. and he's, he needs, I, I, Lord, I feel like I'm just carrying this burden by myself. And the Lord said, no, there's going to be others that are going to, I'm going to raise up. And specifically, God mentions Elisha. And let's look at that. It's in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 19. So it's easy to remember. 1, 19, 19. Okay? And this is what happened. Elijah went from where he was, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Elisha was plowing with, a yoke, with 12 yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the twelfth pair. So there were 24 oxen and 12 people who were plowing a field. And Elisha was one of those 12 people who was walking behind a pair of oxen who had a, a wooden yoke over their necks and shoulders. So Elijah, working off of the word of God, who had said, Elisha is to be your successor, to be your your person who will come after you. Elijah went up to Elisha, took off his cloak, his mantle, his robe, if you will, and he put it over the shoulders of Elisha, which was a symbol to him that he was calling him to be his servant and to be his apprentice, if you will. And what does it say? Elisha then immediately left his pair of oxen and he ran after Elijah. And he said to Elijah, can you please let me just run back and kiss my mother and father goodbye? And then I'll come with you. 
And Elijah said, go. And so Elisha left Elijah standing there and he went back to his parents' home and he said, I'm leaving and the likelihood is we will never see each other again. I love you. Goodbye. Now, normally he would be responsible for caring for those people in their old age. And he was what he was doing was saying, God is calling me away and so I am not going to be able to fulfill my obligation to you and I want to give you a heads up to prepare you so that you can look for other means of support because God has called me into a ministry and I don't know if I'll ever see you again. But I want to honor you and love and tell you that I love you and, and give you fair warning that I can't be here for you. And then he, so he's literally cutting off his relationship with his parents. He is severing ties with his family. And then he comes back Verse 21, and he took the two oxen that he was using and, the, and the, the wooden yoke. And it says that he slaughtered the oxen and he burned the plowing equipment. He cooked the meat. He gave it to the people who were there and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, think about this. You don't know this guy from Adam. All of a sudden, some big prominent guy shows up at your door. Now, you've heard of him. I mean, this is Elijah, for heaven's sakes. If you look at Jewish history, he is like, he's all that in a bag of chips, plus a couple other bags. He's like the guy in the the nation of Israel. But back then, we don't know if Elisha had ever heard of Elijah. We're we're looking with 20-20 hindsight. All we know is that when Elijah walked up to Elisha, a person he had never interacted with before, he took his mantle off and laid it on the shoulders of Elisha, offering to him the opportunity to become his apprentice. And Elisha, I'm taking this opportunity. And he literally cuts off every part of his former life. He walks away from everything. It's kind of like this idea of loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. In other words, God, everything is yours. I'm abandoning my plans and my hopes and my dreams and my future. And I'm walking this path that's being laid out before me. It's kind of interesting to me to think about. I don't know that I would have that kind of blind trust and faith to just do that. There had to be something in this man's character, in the way that God formed him as a human being, that gave him that that wander, not a wanderlust, but that, that desire to go out and follow the unknown. Now, we're going to fast forward a lot. I don't know how long Elisha served Elijah before the end of Elijah's time on this earth. But if you go to 2 Kings chapter 2, you will see the story. Now, I'm not going to read it to us. I'm just going to paraphrase it for us this morning. But 2 Kings chapter 2 is where Elisha takes over as the prophet and Elijah 
ends his ministry on the earth. So this is what happens. Elijah wakes up in the middle at dawn and gets up and starts uh, walking around. And Elisha, his servant, kind of like what I told the kids earlier today, he got up and he started preparing the things for the day for his master, Elijah. And Elijah, during their breakfast or sometime during the morning's normal, regular stuff, he turns to his his servant, Elisha, and he says, "Um, God's revealed to me that today's the day. I'm going to be leaving the earth today. And you're going to be taking over as the prophet. Is there anything I can do for you before I go? And Elisha says to Elijah, Wow, that's a thing I don't... And I'm I'm adding to scripture. I don't know what they actually thought or said. But can you imagine? Think about this. Can you imagine? You are on the threshold of starting your career, what you have been called to do, what you've been apprenticed to do, what you are prepared for, what you've been trusting God for. It's about to be you that steps into that. And God says to you, name whatever it is you want from me. I'll give it to you. What do you want? Now, remember when when Solomon was in that position and God said to him, what do you want? You're about to become the king. What do you want? And God, Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom and all that. And what Elisha said is, I want a double portion of the spirit that is on you. Well, what he was talking about, he wanted the, twice the amount of God that Elijah had. Now remember, Elijah is the guy that called down fire from heaven. Elijah's the one that declared a, 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 a no rain for years. And Elisha is saying, I want twice what you've got so that I can do the ministry I'm, I'm called to do. And Elijah says to his servant Elisha, okay, I think that can possibly happen, but in order for it to happen, you have to see me leave the earth. And Elijah's okay. Elijah's okay. We'll make this happen. And so they start their day. And I don't. I'm not going to go through all the different things. But they start their day. And Elisha's starting to walk around to various schools of prophets and places where he has ministered. And he basically saying goodbye to people. And the uh, the people that are there are saying to the servant Elisha, "Are you aware that God's going to take your, ser- your your master today? He's going to take your master today. Aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned?" And and literally, if you read through this. Elisha keeps going, yes, I'm aware. Just be quiet. Leave me alone. Now, why is he saying that? We're not given this in the scripture, but imagine this. Elijah said to Elisha, yes, you can have what you've asked for if you see me leave. Now, you know I'm leaving sometime today. Don't blink. So Elisha is literally watching Elijah Moment by moment throughout the day, he's not taking his eyes off of him. It doesn't matter what distraction is coming. It doesn't matter who gets in his way or who tries to dissuade him to get him to look away for a second. He's like, yes, I heard. I understand. Shut up. Stop it. You're bothering me. Leave me alone. I'm watching Elijah because I have to see the moment he... Shut up. Literally, everywhere they go, everywhere they go, 
And then it says that Elijah walks up to the river Jordan. He takes off his cloak, that same cloak that he used to call Elisha into ministry. He rolls it up. He said, it's, in, it's kind of unclear. Did he actually strike the water? Did he hold it out over the water? Did he? I, we don't know. But he made some kind of a gesture using that cloak. And God's power caused the waters of the Jordan to separate. And Elijah and Elisha crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. And then at some point after that, while Elisha has been dutifully, carefully, never taking his eyes off of his master throughout the entire day, at some point, the heavens open up. And for those of you who are of Irish heritage, the coach de Bauer shows. Now, in Jewish heritage, they're talking about these flaming chariot of God that comes out of the heavens to take Elijah up. And Elisha indeed sees it happen. And he cries out, The chariots of heaven! The chariots of heaven! And Elijah tosses the mantle, the cloak, off of himself, and it floats down, and Elisha picks it up and puts it on. And Elijah is carried off. The clouds close, and Elisha is now left standing, fully invested in his new role as the prophet to the people of God. He has an outward evidence because he's wearing the cloak. But you got to get back into Israel. And that means you got to somehow get across that Jordan. And uh, he's walking by faith. I mean, he asked for it. He got the cloak. Did he actually get the spirit? And did he get the double portion of the spirit? He asked for it. He was told he would if he did what he was supposed to do. And he did what he was supposed to do. So let's take the cloak off, roll it up like we saw Elijah do, and wave it over the water and see what happens. And the water's part. And Elisha's stoked. And he walks across the Jordan on dry ground. Now, why was that important? Because we're told later, just moments later in that story, the school of prophets who had seen Elijah and Elisha cross over saw Elisha come back over wearing the cloak and having the power. So they aligned themselves under his leadership. Now, there was a little bit of kerfuffle, which we're not going to get into this morning, where they weren't quite sure that Elijah was gone, and finally they're convinced, and they follow Elisha. And then incredible things start happening. Elisha causes an iron axe head to float up from the bottom of a, of a lake. Elisha takes a handful of flour, dumps it into a poisonous vat, a pot of, of soup, and cleans it all up. Elisha pours salt into a basin, I mean, into a body of water and clears it all up. Elisha trains his servant about the king of Aram and seeing all of God's armies surrounding them. 
over and over and over, and they get bigger and bigger. Remember the story of Naaman, the guy who had leprosy, and they said, if you will just go to the prophet in Israel, and he could heal you of your leprosy, and when he comes to the prophet of Israel, he's told to dip in the Jordan seven times. Remember that story? That was Elisha. Elisha did this incredible stuff. But he did it only through the power of the presence of God. Now, now we get into the theology part of this. I thought when we came into relationship with God that we got the presence of God. That we got the Holy Spirit, right? Isn't that what you've heard? Mm. See, that's New Testament stuff. Elisha lived before Christ had his time on this earth. If you look in John chapter 20, the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus has just been resurrected from his death and his burial and been in the ground three days and now he's resurrected. And at night he appears to his disciples who are locked in a room and he appears to them and he says, peace be with you. And then it says in John chapter 19 or yeah, 20, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It was at that point in human history that the presence of God, which, was, which is a guarantee uh, or a deposit guaranteeing our hope for the future, that's when that started. Prior to that, the only time the presence of God was with anybody, it was when God specifically imparted to that individual the presence of God. And I can show you time and time and time again where that's the case. <clears throat> so Elisha asked for a double portion of the, of the presence of God. And God honored that. Did he measure out exactly? I, I don't know. Is it just... A way to, to describe, I don't know. But what I do know is that there was no question that God was with Elisha as Elisha walked the path that God gave him. But how does that apply to my life? How do I, how do I take this story and move it into my world? Because I'm living after Christ came on this earth. I'm living after the presence of the Holy Spirit has been promised to every believer. So what does this all mean for me? Well, what got me thinking about this was this. This week, I was asked to pray a blessing over a friend of mine who was being ordained as a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. And we were told that the general superintendent who was in charge, who was doing the actual ordinations, had said to all seven candidates, 30-second prayer. No more than a minute. If they go farther than a minute, I'm taking the microphone out of their hands. 30-second prayer. I was like, okay, I can do this. 30 seconds, what can you say in 30 seconds? A lot. So I prayerfully discerned what I was going to pray. And when it came time, my friend was number one because he was alphabetically the first. And so after General Superintendent ordained my friend, I was already holding the microphone and I prayed basically this prayer. God, in your word, you tell us that we are, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we are to glorify you. And I know that my friend, 
His heart's desire is to glorify you. He's walked that path for 20 plus years. But tonight, God, I'm asking that you impart to him a holy unction, a blessing of your spirit, so that tomorrow morning when he opens his eyes, he is aware, more than he's ever been aware, of the very power of the living God giving him the ability to do that which you've called him to do. And I was honestly thinking back to this idea of Elisha asking for the double blessing. I mean, for, for the, the double portion. Now see, we Wesleyan Arminians, we Nazarenes, we teach in our theology that there is a second blessing of God's grace. We teach that when a human being confesses their sins, repents of their sins, and asks Christ into their life, they receive the Holy Spirit, just like in John chapter 20. But we also teach, believe and teach, that there comes a second point in a Christian's walk, where God imparts the Holy Spirit of God in a way beyond just the presence of God. If you look at Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, Jesus, just before his ascension, he says, Stay here in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. The promise of the Holy Spirit, which I promised you, is going to come. And so that's exactly what they did. Jesus ascended into heaven and went to be with the Father. And they stayed in Jerusalem. And then Acts chapter 2 happens. And in the upper room where they're praying, a hundred and plus, 120, whatever the number was, People are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But see, they had received the Holy Spirit back in John 20. So what was this filling? What was this receiving of the Holy Spirit? What I submit to you, and this is where our theology comes from, is that God, at a second time in their life, not when they get saved, but after that, they come to a point where God says, I am going to pour out my Spirit on you in such a way that it's going to cleanse the carnal nature and it's going to empower you to do the work that I do. However, there's, this is a symbiotic thing. This is a you and me working together thing. I need you, by faith, to abandon yourself wholly and completely to me. I need you, by faith, to say, God, I know you're real because we got a relationship going right now. I know that you're present with me because I have sensed your presence. But God, I know that there's more for me as I walk this life. And God, if there's such a thing as a double presence, double portion of your presence, I want it. And I receive it by faith. But God literally asks you to consecrate everything. Remember the story of Elisha's calling? What did he do? He severed his relationships. He literally gave away his possessions and said, In abandonment, I follow God's will. And I believe that that's what God asks of each and every one of us after we're already in right relationship. He says, are you willing to go this next step with me? Because if so, oh my word, I have stuff that you would never even dream of available to you that I can pour into your life. But I need you 100% mine. I need consecration from you. And if you will walk by faith in that, 
I will pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And we understand from our theology that God in that moment, when, when, when the instantaneous crisis act of entire sanctification takes place, others call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit, others call it Christian perfection, whatever you call it, in that moment, God makes right what got broken in the fall, the desire to go against God, the desire to always do the wrong, the desire to always serve self. And in that same moment that God corrects that, God also empowers you for service. So there's a cleansing and an empowerment. If you want scriptural backup for it, I can give it to you. It's in Ephesians, it's in Acts, it's, it's all over the New Testament. We can talk about it later. I don't have time this morning to go into all of it. But understand, this is a calling that every single Christian has. Every single Christian asks, I mean, God asks every single Christian, are you willing to go even deeper in your walk with me? Because if you are, there's blessing upon blessing and power, and we can do things that you would have never dreamed of. Now, does that mean if you don't go there that you're not a Christian? No, of course you're a Christian. That's already been settled. This is the second work that God wants to bring into your life. And if you're willing to walk that path, amazing stuff can happen. But it does require you to completely let go. Old-time Nazarenes used to say, bringing the unknown bundle up to the altar, carrying all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my wishes, and open-handedly dumping it out and saying, God, it's no longer mine to own. If you want it, it's yours. If you call me someplace, the answer is yes. If you ask me to give up my children, the answer is yes. If you ask me for anything, the answer is yes. And I stand here by faith receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And then you walk in this power, in this cleanliness doing the things that God wants to do through you, and people see it. That's the other part of this Elisha story. See, Elisha got his second blessing, if you will, over on the other side of the Jordan, but then he had to act it out and walk it before the world. And as a result of his faithfulness to walk out the path what God was calling him to do, he, God brought people alongside him to follow him, to be his servant, to do his work, to study underneath him. That's what's being offered to every single one of you this morning. I have no question that you're Christians. You wouldn't get up on a Sunday morning and come here if you weren't. But do you walk in the power of God? Do you have the very presence of God and cleansing you from all selfishness? And do you have the very power of God to do whatever it is God asks of you? If you don't, it's easy, says the preacher who's sitting on this side of it. But it is being offered to you. Remember I talked last week about the idea of God wooing and drawing you, prevenient grace. That's coming into the faith. God is doing the same thing right now. He's speaking to you, some of you right now, saying, you hear what the pastor's saying? This is real. I'm offering it to you. Do you want it? It's a simple matter of saying by faith, God... 
I'm tired of trying to live the life that you're calling me to in my own strength. I'm tired of constantly fighting this selfishness within me. I'm tired of feeling weak and helpless as I try to walk the call, the walk the path you lay before me. I ask you, God, to please baptize me anew with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. Serve, let me serve you in a newness that I've never experienced before. Cleanse me from my selfish, carnal nature. Get this out of the way so it's no longer an issue for me. It's all by faith that you receive it. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, God will do it. I don't have time this morning to go into all the, all the scripture, but that one section, God will do it, goes right back to Elisha, standing there with his servant, looking at the army of the Arameans. And Elisha says to his servant, God, show him that you've got the power. Show him that you can do this for us. And let us walk in faith as we go this path. And that's exactly what God's calling you to right now. God, I've been serving you. I love you. I honor you. I want you in my life. But what the pastor's saying, I'm finding to be true. I have still struggled with selfishness. I am still struggling with powerlessness in doing the walk that you're calling me to. And I want this thing that he's talking about. So I'm going to close out the preaching part. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. And as I pray, I want you, if you need this, I want you to pray as well. I don't normally do the follow the, the, the sample prayer thing, but... I feel led that we need to do this, that somebody in this room is right there, that God is speaking to you all morning long. And God is calling you to this next level of walk with him, where you walk in the power and the holiness of God. So join with me as we pray.